Good morning. Welcome. Glad you're here today. My name is Chris Causey. I'm the pastor at Encounter Church. And uh, whether you're here in the room or join us online, I know Jason referenced earlier, we had a sickness is kind of going around. And so I was even looking this morning, we had a lot of people who were tuned in on the live stream through the app or Facebook. And so welcome to everyone. Uh, today, this, we're going to kind of continue this series that we started at the beginning of this month, a series that um, hopefully for those who have been coming or engaging with this series, even if you've been traveling, that you found it really helpful. And that this series isn't so much about why uh, you may want a better life, right? This, if you're in this room and you're a Christian and, um, and you're in this journey, that the song we just sang may speak to the ultimate why you want to live your life better. But even if you're here today and you're not sure what you believe or where you stand spiritually, the chances are that what we all have in common is that we want our life to be better that we want to be better, that we want to see a life this year filled with better decisions, fewer regrets, that we want to experience more. And that this is what this series is about. It's not so much the why of life, but it's a how to live life better. And that in the midst of us walking through the last couple of weeks and the next two weeks, this is really about giving you tools and ways of thinking to do life better this year. Uh, about six years ago, had an opportunity to travel internationally and um, was in the midst of a couple different an international trips. And one was into the Middle East. And as I was landing, uh, our plane was coming down. A massacre of 20-plus Christians was happening just a few miles from the hotel that I was going to be staying at. And I was there to actually speak in churches. And, um, and I knew this was kind of instantly a pressure cooker. My wife was, um, at that point, eight months pregnant. And um, here I am, thousands of miles away from home, speaking at a church that week that um, has just been in a country where 26 Christians have been killed. And um, I'm speaking at one of those churches. And so you can imagine the little bit of pressure that, that kind of instantly fell on me. When I travel, sleep's hard for me. I don't know about you, but I really like my bed. I don't like other beds, no matter how comfortable or not comfortable they are. And so I, we arrive at the hotel and um, get settled in. I meet my roommate. My roommate is, it's never a good sign when you meet someone. They're like, hey, nice to meet you. I should probably tell you, I snore really loud. And I'm like, I'm Chris. I haven't slept in 18 hours since the last time. And I'm pretty sure I'm not going to be sleeping tonight. So great. Nice to meet you. What was your name? And um, fortunately, the doctor, my doctor, I'd talked to him before. And he's like, hey, I have sleep issues when I travel. And he's like, here's something called Ambien. You can take that. And and so we get ready for bed. We get there. It's pretty late. And I'm laying in the bed. And it's about 11 p.m. Um, that time. And so my body's starting to kind of feel like it's 6, 7 a.m. this time over here. And I'm having trouble falling asleep. And the sounds outside of our uh, hotel are really loud with cars because people are just waking up where we are and uh, kind of getting nightlife started. And my roommate, who at this point I'm contemplating smothering with a pillow because he's so loud, he's actually louder than the street noise. And I'm like, I'm like I, I, got, I got to sleep. I haven't slept in a day, and it's starting to wear on me. So I take the Ambien, and then to, to really make the Ambien stick, I take two Benadryl. And which is not a, an endorsement or a recommendation. I am not a doctor, nor do I pretend to be one. And so, horrible idea, right? Okay. And uh, so, I finally fall asleep or pass out. It's one of the two. Kind of blends a little bit. And, um, 
And then the next thing I know, I'm awake in a dark room, and I have no idea where I am. I'm in a foreign country. I can't see anything, and all I know is I'm awake. And I'm filling my, my surroundings and trying to find the wall, and I find a wall, and I make my way around the entire wall, and no light switch. I have no clue where I am. I'm in a foreign country. I am obviously in some drug-induced stupor, and I've walked to a room that I don't know where I am. I don't hear snoring anymore. I don't hear the sounds of cars anymore. And eventually what helps me is I trip over something about face plant, and it's a bidet, a little tiny little mini toilet. I have slept walked into the restroom there. I... After about five, seven, ten minutes of wandering around in a dark room with no idea where I was, I finally realized that, oh, the light switches are outside, and I find the door, and I walk out. And what was terrifying is that, first of all, I'm glad I just woke up having to go to the bathroom, and undoubtedly, that's where my body slept walked me. I'm glad I wasn't hungry or felt like dancing, because there's no, no telling where I would have ended up in that moment, because I was completely under the control of something else. And what, what terrifies me about that moment is that for many of us, that moment's not just a funny story. It's kind of life. You wake up, and one day you realize that your relationship, this relationship you've been sleepwalking in for six, seven years, is headed towards divorce. Or you wake up and kind of have this moment, you look at your finances, and you say, when did all of that debt happen? When did I get, when did sitting in this cubicle for six weeks turn into six years? And feel stuck. That we can easily find ourselves sleepwalking through life, arriving in places and spaces we never intended to go, and somehow we just ended up there. Now, has that ever happened to you? Because I've woken up, not just figuratively or literally in another room, but just you're like, when did this happen? And this series is about us waking up, not just waking up, but becoming fully alive, living our life, not walking through a dream, but in full 3D, experiencing everything. And today, I want to take that next step. Last week, we talked about responsibility. Today, I want to press into this idea of life in 3D, how to experience and to move into this year and actually have better decisions and fewer regrets. And so to help you and I as we engage in this journey today, um, I've created this kind of acrostic. I'm calling it Life in 3D, and the 3D are three, three Ds that are really helpful, that are really useful for us making better decisions, experiencing fewer regrets of getting to the end of this year and, and looking back and saying, this is the best year I've had. No matter what age, no matter what stage, no matter where you are, these three Ds will fit for you. And they come from a man who, in a moment, was feeling the pressure of life and a desire to pass it on to his children in a way that they wouldn't live lives of regret. And it's found in a passage that, um, uh, in a book that we're spending our entire month in, the book of Proverbs. And uh, as Jason referenced earlier with the Encounter Church app, if you click on message notes, you'll find it already loaded for you there. Um, it's just a couple verses, but let me set a little bit of backdrop. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, the book of Proverbs was written primarily by one individual. There was a couple other editors involved, but it's kind of historically been seen as the kind of the brain trust, brainchild of one of the wisest men who's ever lived. His name was Solomon, and he was a king. And he lived probably over 3,000 years ago, but the wisdom and the advice that he gave to his children, because the book was written primarily to train his kids, 
Because Solomon recognized, I'm, I'm getting ready to pass on to my children royalty. I'm getting ready to pass on to my children the weight of responsibility of leading a nation that I've led. And he personally knew the weight of leading people, of managing chaos, of dealing with people's problems. And he wants to make sure that his kids have the wisdom that God gave him that's helped him be a good leader. And so he's, he's a good caring parent, but he's also a good king who wants to set the nation up for the next generation. And this is what forms the basis of the book of Proverbs. Chapter 4 is where we're going to be today, and I want to give you a little bit of zoom in in chapter 4. Chapter 4 is still at the beginning of the book of Proverbs. It's still early into the lesson, and the heart of Proverbs 4 is this. It's that, son, I've been where you've been before. I once, too, was a little boy. Daughter, I, I once was a little child like you. I've been where you've been, but this is where I've come to now. I'm a successful king. I've expanded our nation. We've done incredible things. And what has guided me has been the wisdom that God has given to me. And I want to give you that. He's essentially saying, look, this works. I know it works. It's trustworthy. It's true. It's been the path I've walked down. I want it for you. And that's kind of the heart. If you've ever, if you're a parent, you have that moment where you, you say to your kid, whether a teenager or a toddler, like, no, I've been there. It always hurts when you do it that way. And so you can kind of even picture Solomon's passion. Like he's like, this isn't good advice. This is experience and wisdom. I've walked and lived. I want it for you. And what he gives them is the course of a few verses, what I'm going to call the three Ds. It begins with this. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the path for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet from evil. This is kind of the statement. He's given them a lot of great advice in chapter 4. It's worth reading sometime this week if you have some free time. But this section kind of captures the essence of what he's been trying to communicate in this chapter. And he begins with saying this, let your eyes look straight ahead and fix your gaze directly before you. That ultimately in life there is a destination you will arrive at. And you will either arrive there on purpose or you will arrive there accidentally, but you will arrive there. So he's wanting to kind of front load this with some heavy realization. He says, look, it goes down to even how your mind thinks. Remember last week, we talked about the fundamental mindset that's essential for having a year with results, not regret. And it's this idea of responsibility and taking responsibility for the one thing you can take responsibility for, which is your life. And that was this kind of fundamental mindset. But now he's wanting to, to build on that. He's, he's wanting to expand their horizon a little bit and, and help them to realize that what they look at, what their gaze is directed to, essentially what grabs your attention matters. Because what grabs the attention of your mind will eventually become the address your body arrives at. That what you fixate on, your feet will eventually find. It's like, look, this is critical. What are you focused on? What are you spending your time thinking about? Where are your eyes looking? Where is your mind going? Because eventually your body will follow. And this is something small. This is something subtle. But he knows that this is critical. That what you focus on, you eventually find yourself in the midst of. 
it's one of these silly illustrations, but uh, people get to know me, and one of the things they learn about me is that I drive a 2003 Buick LeSabre, and it is an incredibly pimped-out car. It is beautiful. I love my 2003 Buick LeSabre, and, um, and so it's kind of a rare car. You just don't see it a lot, and so people are like, oh, that's your car, and, and then a couple it always happens. It's like two weeks later, hey, I, I've, I've been waving at you a lot, but then I realize it's not you. It's like an 87-year-old woman. They're like, it really, it kept happening. I kept waving, and every time I waved, it was an 87-year-old woman. And I'm like, yeah, we wave at each other too. <laughs> and it's, it's because, like, people don't notice Buick LeSabres. But when you drive one or you know someone who drives one and you're looking to wave, you start to notice them. If you've ever bought a new car, you've experienced this, right? You get in your car, and all of a sudden, it's like if all the highway's been taken over by the car you drive. You're like, do you notice all those Jeeps on the road today? I wonder if they're more popular now since I bought them, right? I mean, we don't want to voice that, but it's kind of what we're thinking. And it's because we've been blind to it, but because it's now our focus, it's easy to find them. And, and Solomon's wanting to teach his children this powerful principle that's at play. Jeff Bezos said Amazon has actually levered this, leveraged this biblical principle for their business. Really fascinating. Inside of Amazon corporate, if a new product or whether it's a Kindle or Amazon Fire or if it's a new service like Amazon Prime, before something like that ever hits the public scene, it begins with a future press release. They have to come into Jeff's the J team or S team or whatever the executive team gathering looks like in that moment, and they come in, and what they have to present and lead with is the future press release. Here's what the product's going to look like. In nine months, when the Kindle's done, this is what's going to be said about it. When Amazon Prime rolls out, this is what people are going to be talking about. They start with the future press release at the beginning. It's because Jeff Bezos recognizes what Solomon said 3,000 years ago to his children, that where your mind goes, your body follows. And if the press release, you've thought through what you want people to say about your product, then you'll find in the end that's what your product is and does. It's really brilliantly simple, isn't it? And so here's my first question for you, because this is meant to be a little bit of homework. Maybe that sounds bad, but there's a little bit of homework involved because it's your life, and you're the only one that can do it. But what would you want your press release of 2018 to say? What would your future press release look like? What would, what would the press release of your seventh grade year, if you got to decide, what would it look like? What would the press release about your relationship year this year look like? What would the press release of your career this year look like? And you may say, well, that's at the end of this year. No, but January 2018 is always the best time to write a press release for 2018. Because it leverages this principle and this practice of where you want to go. And who do you want to become? What do you want your relationship with your kids to look like? And if you're like me and you not, you're not a big writer, you don't enjoy sitting down to write, then pick a few words that you want to describe. Give yourself the 2018 tweet, right? Just, just write a tweet that you want to say. Picture that moment, January 2019, it's the first day of the year, and you're at a party, and you're seeing relatives you hadn't seen, and they walk up to you, and you haven't talked to them in a year, and they say, hey, how was last year? How'd it go? What do you want to say? 
This is what Solomon's trying to grab his kid's attention with because he realizes your mind's attention eventually becomes your body's address. But life in 3D doesn't just involve the focus of your mind. It does involve your feet. And so he builds off this, right? He goes from verse 25 to verse 26. He says, give careful thought to the paths of your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. He, he, do not turn to the left or to the right. right? He's kind of building on something. He's going from the, the mind's focus to the feet. Give careful thought to your paths. Be steadfast in all your ways. He's using this imagery, right? Remember, this is a destination. It's a journey. You're going somewhere. And he's wanting them to realize that direction, the second D, is critical because you can have a destination in mind, but unless you're headed in that direction, you never get there. Sincerity does not change the GPS coordinates in your car. You may be sincere about wanting to go to California, but if you're driving south, you never get there. And no matter, no wishful thinking, no sincere thoughts, no genuineness gets you to California driving south, ever. So he's like, look, you've got to have some direction to your feet. And the direction is the decisions you make. The decisions are shaping the direction of your life. Our doing becomes our going. We're headed somewhere with it. And so he presses into this in a really unique way. He, he calls out careful thoughts. Right? You know, careful thoughts and steadfast ways. Why those two things? Why doesn't he just say, hey, choices are really important. They shape your life. It's because he recognizes that he and we we can miss the power of choice. And one of the ways he's trying to train them to change the way they think about choosing is he uses this word called careful thought. He, re he recognizes that most of our decisions, if we're not careful, are mindless decisions or emotional decisions. They're not directional decisions. It's really easy to make a mindless decision, an emotional decision. It is far harder to make a directional decision in your life. And that... If you're not careful, you fall into that trap. And that's why he's like, look, be careful about what you think. You can find yourself mindless. You, like, so one of my desires this year is I want to get physically healthy. I, I hate working out. I don't know if there's anybody else in this room like this. I, I do not. I am not one of those people. When I go to the gym. I walk around, and I'm like, these are not my people. <laughs> like, they want to be here. And I don't understand that. They like sweating. I don't. They like picking up heavy things. I want to find somebody who can pick heavy things up for me. And so I recognize when I go in that these are not my people. But, but I want a little bit of what they got. So I got to show up and I got to do it. Because if not, it's really easy for me to be sitting on the couch watching television, mindlessly eating a few chips or Cheez-Its that turn into the box. You ever notice that? I, I can just start kind of nibbling and it's like, Poof, where did all the chips go? And it's like, oh, that's right, in my belly. That's where they went. And he knows we can mindlessly get into those things. We can mindlessly do relationships where you just go through the routine. We can mindlessly do parenting. We can mindlessly go through our job. And then we one day wake up and six or seven years have gone by. It's really easy. It's like give careful thought. Or we can fall into the trap of emotional decisions where we kind of lunge into that. 
And, and most of our culture celebrates. Even, I was just up earlier for those handful of people who got here. I was mic checking because we were having some feedback issues. And I was singing Sam Smith, right? And as my, like, test run. I don't know why. But I was, even the song I was singing was like, Won't you stay with me? Because you're all I need. This ain't love, it's clear to see. But darling, stay with me. Like, it's an emotional song. It's like, I know I'm making the worst decision of my life, but it feels good, so it must be okay. And Solomon knows that. That oftentimes it's really easy to make a decision that feels good, that moves us away from where we want to go. He's like, be careful in how you think about what you're doing. And so here's my question for you. There's this principle he's wanting to leverage called the compound effect of choices. See, choices, they, they look small and they look like they're just insignificant. But choices compound, they add up. Choices have this cumulative effect in the course of our life. They, they move us somewhere. That's why all choices are directional. It's why there's a, an old Chinese story that involves the man who invented the chessboard who comes in and pre presents to the king his gift i've invented something king it's called chess and here you go and the king is blown away with it he's like this is incredible i love it it's strategy it's conquering kings and queens and i want to repay you and the inventor says well king i am humbled by your desire if you would only do this simple request give me one grain of rice for the first square Give me two grains of rice for the second. Give me, give me four for the third. Give me eight for the fourth. Give me 16 for the fifth. 32 for the sixth. If you just would do that, King, for every one of the, the boxes on the board, I would be eternally grateful. That would be an adequate reward. Adequate reward. And the king gets angry. He's, I'm the king. I offered you a great reward, and this is how you respond to me with this trivial, offensive request a few grains of rice and that story is told because it's compound thinking is really really outside of our norm it's not the it's not how we process and compound thinking is the power of our choices it's how choices work and and the king gets offended for the very same reason that solomon intentionally tells his children to think this way because it's the default is not to see the compound effect of choices let me tell you what that story what that request for the chess inventor actually meant if you follow that progression of this doubling effect on every single square what you do is you arrive at the 64th square on the board and the amount of rice at that point is enough rice to feed all of the earth for 340 years in a row. The king had no idea what he was being asked for. And that's the power of compound choices. Another example is, this is something even in our personal life, we, we're wanting to this year even be better with our finances, part of what some of you are doing in Money Matters, right? We want to tell our money where to go because we know it's going to go somewhere. And we want it to go to the places we want it to go. And so even in our budgeting and even as this compound thinking has infected my brain, it's hard for me to go out to eat sometimes because I recognize if I go out to eat, that I'm not seeing that money for just the 
the, the sandwich of 5 to $8 that it is, I'm thinking compoundly what it could become. I'm like, man, that 5 or $8, like if I put that in another account and it just kept up with the stock market or just a nominal stock market of growth at 6 to 8%, that $5 in about five years would be almost $20, $25. It just starts, so all of a sudden you're looking at a meal and you're like, do I want to pay $25 for that sandwich? Because $25 is what I could have in five years. That compound thinking starts to creep into your mind. And this is what Solomon wants him to, his kids to see. He's like, our choices have a compound effect. And so here's this question I want to give you. The first question I asked you was about what would, what's your future 2018 press release look like? And here's the second question. Are the choices in your life right now taking you there? And this is a helpful question to process through. Are the choices that you're making, are they, take, are they taking you there? And if you spend time reflecting on the choices you're making, then you start to say, well, you know what? No, that choice is actually taking me over there. Like, I, I want to go this way, but I think my choices are actually slowly taking me this way. A little bit of overspending each month is not moving you towards financial stability. Not having quality date times and conversation times with your spouse is not taking you to a strong marriage. It's taking you further and further distantly apart, relationally. No one ever wakes up in a bad relationship or in, in, a, in a ruined career because it happened overnight. They just realized it. But it's been doing this for a long time. And the moment you start to grab hold of the compound power of the choices you're making, taking you somewhere, you can start to control it. You can start to direct it because all decisions are directional. And the question is, is are they taking you where you want to go? And so I would carve out time today, whether it's at the end of the service when we're singing our song and you're processing through it, or whether it's you're carving out space this week when you wake up one morning to sit down and say, what do I want, what do I want this year to look like? And are the choices in my life, are they present to get me there? And there may be some things that you have to stop doing. There may be some things that you start doing because of it. But regardless, you are waking up. You are becoming alive to this reality that all decisions are directional. It's essentially this. If you want to see something you've never seen, you've got to do something you've never done. That's the, the gist of it. And that to not believe you can't see it because you're not doing it. So if you started doing it, you might start to see it. But to give it a little bit of time. I've been exercising. I, I still, when I walk into the gym, look around and say, these are not my people. I still keep my phone up on the treadmill when I'm running because I'm like, I, I got 911. I just need to hit send. Right? I mean, we were joking, Jason and I were this week, and like he's a cheetah and the boy runs so fast. And he's like, I don't even know, like banister like level speed and I walk out of the gym, I ran a 12-minute mile, and I want to sign autographs. You, you want my autograph? I just did a 12-minute mile. I'm telling you, it's going to be worth something one day. <laughs> like I, I, I mean, that's just where I am. But I'm doing it because I know if I do it long enough, things start to happen. I will still never be a cheetah, and they may never be my people, but, but I will be healthier, which is my goal. But the key, the last D, is that there has to be not just a choice, there's got to be this daily component. You've got to have diligence, which is why in verse 27, Solomon leaves his children with this. He says, do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your feet from evil, right? He's, he's like, okay, now you're on the journey. You're moving. 
You're getting there. You need diligence too. It's not just, it's not just destination. It's not just direction. There's got to be diligence about your daily decisions. Because it's really easy to fall off, to, to swerve to the left or to the right, and to end up a place you never intended to go. And the reason, remember, I, in the way I even kind of introduced chapter four, the reason this is, I think, a really deeply emotional, kind of powerful point for Solomon is that Solomon speaks at the beginning of this chapter saying, look, I've been there, I've seen that, I've done that. I know that this works. It's made, it's shaped my life. But it's also shaped my father's life too. It's like I've seen it. I know the power of diligence and decisions. Because before I was born, my father, who was a king too, well, what kings do at that time of year when kings and armies go off to war is that armies... Armies don't just leave by themselves, the king goes with them. You see, an ancient king concept was the king was also the general. They had warrior leaders. They didn't have academic leaders. They didn't have thought leaders. They didn't have executive leaders. They had warrior leaders who would lead them onto the battlefield. That's what a king did. But there was one, one season where my father did not go out with the army like he had always done because he was a good king. Now, this one time, he stays home while all of the men are out to war. And he finds himself one afternoon, and he's up on top of his house, and he's bored. And he's looking around, and there in the distance is a woman taking a bath. And that's not weird in that culture. Women took baths on top of the roof because no one would see them. What's weird is that David watches her and that David doesn't just watch he invites and cre ends up creating this whole affair that eventually sets into motion a lot of devastating choices and decisions that that almost ruin the second half of David's life because he wasn't diligent that day he wasn't paying attention he had made great decisions he'd he'd had some really good direction in mind, but in reality, he wasn't really being diligent. And that day, that one slip up led to a whole series of events that almost ruined David's life. And that Solomon knows this, and he's like, look, diligence matters because if you're not being careful, you can still get off course. And I know because that woman that he ended up getting in, involved with, I saw the impact it had with the other siblings. I saw the devastation it brought because there was a lack of diligence. I've seen it, children. Do not let yourself lose sight of diligence. It's why one of the reasons as a church we created groups. Because we recognize that diligence is a whole lot easier when you got people around you. Why we have money matters over these three weeks where people are coming together because in the room, there's something empowering about sitting in the room with 30 other people who say, I want to be here because I want to move towards financial strength and stability. I want to make better financial decisions. And you're not even having to necessarily talk about all your financial decisions. It's just something about being in the room with people who want the same thing that you want that kind of keeps you diligent, that kind of helps you. It's why we created these kind of groups. This next month, we're doing a relationship series called What Happy Couples Know. And we're going to have two, two separate groups. We're calling it Group Link. We're Sunday nights, the same time as Money Matters has been. We're going to have 
Um, this idea of getting together and we'll dig out, out of and go deeper in what we talked about that day with our what happy couples know because we realize that groups help us to become more diligent. We believe that life is not just better together, that we become better together. And that's why we've created these groups. And so Group Link and Money Matters is about helping us put this third D that's so critical into our lives. But I recognize that for many of us, this was something Solomon told his children. And this, maybe you're thinking, you know what, this would have been great advice when I was small. Or this would have been great advice a year ago or two years ago, but this isn't really necessarily helping me as much as I would like right now because I'm, I'm like you. I'm waking up in a room, and I'm not sure how I got there. And uh, I'm not sure 3D is really going to get me out of that room. And I would just say that there's a little bit more to the story about Solomon is that Solomon doesn't just know from personal experience the power of not being diligent. Solomon has also personally experienced this very gracious love and mercy of God. That Solomon's name literally is rooted back to this idea of graciousness and God's love and that God is a God of not just second or third or fourth or fifth chances. You see, Solomon was the son of that woman that David stepped into that affair with. Solomon literally in his very presence is able to state some very powerful truth to his kids that even when you mess up, it doesn't have to mean you have messed up. That just because you have ruined through some choices does not have to mean that you are ruined. That there's hope that there are second and third and fourth chances and that the, the way, he was like, literally, no matter where you are, like, this still works. Remember that decisions are directional. They're taking you somewhere and that in the New Testament, what, what gets kind of given as the bedrock of, of that life change moment is this idea of repentance. And for some of us growing up in religious context, that word has been distorted and maybe used to abuse or confuse you. But one visually, just out of this passage, what to repent actually means, means to do this, to turn around. To repent literally means to stop going in this direction and start going in this one. Maybe to stop moving away from what God wants for your life and stop moving away from, from God in the relationship he has and start moving towards it, to stop moving away from financial security and moving towards it, but you turn and move towards a place of security. That maybe you turn from relationally distant kind of patterns in your marriage to a life where you're starting to become intentional about the relational choices, that you repent from the, the decisions and the choices that have led you into this place with your kids your career, and you do a 180 and start to move towards a life with better decisions and fewer regrets. But that the heart of this moment, this, this point of waking up is just to say, you know what, I've messed up and I got over there and God, please help me to turn around because I don't want to end up where I'm headed. I want to go somewhere else. And that Solomon to even make the point stronger as Christians, what we recognize is that Jesus would eventually be born out of the bloodline of Solomon. And that Solomon's distant relative, out of that would be a little baby named Jesus. As if God was writing this storyline and banner over all of our heads that he, no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, 
he's open-armed for you to return. And that all of us, no matter the choices you've made up to this point, no matter the decisions that brought you to this place today, that it is not too late to begin to make better choices, to move into a new direction, and to arrive at a new destination. Let's pray.